Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Chapter 10 of The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. Extract from the Diary of Dr. Watson. So far, I have been able to quote from the reports which I have forwarded during those early days to Sherlock Holmes. Now, however, I have arrived at a point in my narrative where I am compelled to abandon this method, and to trust once more to my recollections, aided by the diary which I kept at the time. A few extracts from the latter will carry me on to those scenes which are indelibly fixed in every detail upon my memory. I proceed, then, from the morning which followed our abortive chase of the convict and our other strange experiences upon the moor october sixteenth a dull and foggy day with a drizzle of rain the house is banked in with rolling clouds which rise now and then to show the dreary curves of the moor with thin silver veins upon the sides of the hills and the distant boulders gleaming where the light strikes upon their wet faces it is melancholy outside and in the baronet is in a black reaction after the excitements of the night i am conscious myself of a weight at my heart and a feeling of impending danger ever present danger which is the more terrible because i am unable to define it and have i not cause for such a feeling consider the long sequence of incidents which have all pointed to some sinister influence which is at work around us there is the death of the last occupant of the hall fulfilling so exactly the conditions of the family legend and there are the repeated reports from peasants of the appearance of a strange creature upon the moor twice i have with my own ears heard the sound which resembled the distant baying of a hound it is incredible impossible that it should really be outside the ordinary laws of nature a spectral hound which leaves material footmarks and fills the air with its howling is surely not to be thought of stapleton may fall in with such a superstition and mortimer also but if i have one quality upon earth it is common sense and nothing will persuade me to believe in such a thing to do so would be to descend to the level of these poor peasants who are not content with a mere fiend dog but must needs describe him with hell-fire shooting from his mouth and eyes holmes would not listen to such fancies and i am his agent but facts are facts and i have twice heard this crying upon the moor suppose that there were really some huge hound loose upon it that would go far to explain everything but where could such a hound lie concealed where did it get its food where did it come from how was it that no one saw it by day it must be confessed that the natural explanation offers almost as many difficulties as the other and always apart from the hound there is the fact of the human agency in london the man in the cab and the letter which warned sir henry against the moor this at least was real but it might have been the work of a protecting friend as easily as of an enemy where is that friend or enemy now has he remained in london or has he followed us down here 
could he could he be the stranger whom i saw upon the tour it is true that i have had only the one glance at him and yet there are some things to which i am ready to swear he is no one whom i have seen down here and i have now met all the neighbours the figure was far taller than that of stapleton far thinner than that of frankland barrymore it might possibly have been but we had left him behind us and i am certain that he could not have followed us a stranger then is still dogging us just as a stranger dogged us in london we've never shaken him off if i could lay my hands upon that man then at last we might find ourselves at the end of all our difficulties to this one purpose i must now devote all my energies my first impulse was to tell sir henry all my plans my second and wisest one is to play my own game and speak as little as possible to anyone he is silent and distray his nerves have been strangely shaken by that sound upon the moor i will say nothing to add to his anxieties but i will take my own steps to attain my own end we had a small scene this morning after breakfast barrymore asked leave to speak with sir henry and they were closeted in his study some little time sitting in the billiard-room i more than once heard the sound of voices raised and i had a pretty good idea what the point was which was under discussion after a time the baronet opened his door and called for me barrymore considers that he has a grievance he said he thinks that it was unfair on our part to hunt his brother-in-law down when he of his own free will had told us the secret the butler was standing very pale but very collected before us i may have spoken too warmly sir said he and if i have i am sure that i beg your pardon at the same time i was very much surprised when i heard you two gentlemen come back this morning and learned that you had been chasing selden the poor fellow was enough to fight against without my putting more upon his track if you told us of your own free will well it would have been a different thing said the baronet you only told us or rather your wife only told us when it was forced from you and you could not help yourself i didn't think you would have taken advantage of it sir henry indeed i didn't the man is a public danger there are lonely houses scattered over the moor and he is a fellow who would stick at nothing you would only want to get a glimpse of his face to see that look at mr stapleton's house for example with no one but himself to defend it there's no safety for anyone until he's under lock and key he'll break into no house sir i give you my solemn word upon it but he will never trouble anyone in this country again i assure you sir henry that in a very few days the necessary arrangements will have been made and he will be on his way to south america for god's sake sir i beg of you not to let the police know that he's still on the moor they've given up the chase there and he can lie quiet until the ship is ready for him you can't tell on him without getting my wife and me into trouble i beg you sir to say nothing to the police what do you say watson i shrugged my shoulders if he were safely out of the country it would relieve the taxpayer of a burden but how about the chance of his holding someone up before he goes he would not do anything so mad sir we have provided him with all that he can want 
to commit a crime would be to show where he was hiding that is true said sir henry well barrymore god bless you sir and thank you for my heart it would have killed my poor wife had he been taken again i guess we are aiding and abetting a felony watson but after what we've heard i don't feel as if i could give the man up so there's an end to it all right barrymore you can go with a few broken words of gratitude the man turned but he hesitated and then came back you've been so kind to us sir that i should like to do the best i can for you in return i know something sir henry and perhaps i should have said it before but it was long after the inquest that i found it out i'd never breathed a word about it yet to mortal man it's about poor sir charles's death the baronet and i were both upon our feet do you know how he died no sir i don't know that what then i know why he was at the gate at the hour it was to meet a woman to meet a woman he yes sir and the woman's name i can't give you the name sir but i can give you the initials her initials were l l how do you know this barrymore well sir henry your uncle had a letter that morning he had usually a great many letters but he was a public man and well known for his kind heart so that everyone who was in trouble was glad to turn to him but that morning as it chanced there was only this one letter so i took the more notice of it it was from Coombe tracy and it was addressed in a woman's hand well well sir i thought no more of the matter and never would have done that had it not been for my wife only a few weeks ago she was cleaning out sir charles's study it had never been touched since his death and she found the ashes of a burned letter in the back of the grate the greater part of it was charred to pieces but one little slip the end of a page hung together and the writing could still be read though it was gray on a black background it seemed to us to be a postscript at the end of the letter and it said please please as you are a gentleman burn this letter and be at the gate by ten o'clock beneath it were signed the initials l l have you got that slip no sir it crumbled all to bits after we moved it had sir charles received any other letters in the same writing well sir i took no particular notice of his letters and i should not have noticed this one only it happened to come alone and you have no idea who l l is no sir no more than you have but i expect if we could lay our hands upon that lady we should know more about sir charles's death i cannot understand barrymore how you came to conceal this important information well sir it was immediately after that our own trouble came to us and then again sir we were both of us very fond of sir charles as we well might be considering all he has done for us to rake this up couldn't help our poor master and it's well to go carefully when there's a lady in the case even the best of us you thought it might injure his reputation well sir well, you thought no good could come of it but now you've been kind to us and i feel as if it would be treating you unfairly not to tell you all that i know about the matter very good barrymore you can go 
when the butler had left us sir henry turned to me well watson what do you think of this new light it seems to leave the darkness rather blacker than before so i think but if we can only trace l l it should clear up the whole business we've gained that much we know that there's someone who has the facts if we can only find her what do you think we should do let holmes know all about it at once it'll give him the clue for which he's been seeking i am much mistaken if it does not bring him down i went at once to my room and drew up my report of the morning's conversation for holmes it was evident to me that he'd been very busy of late for the notes which i had from baker street were few and short with no comments upon the information which i had supplied and hardly any reference to my mission no doubt his blackmailing case is absorbing all his faculties and yet this new factor must surely arrest his attention and renew his interest i wish that he were here october seventeenth all day today the rain poured down rustling on the ivy and dripping from the eaves i thought of the convict out upon the bleak cold shelterless moor poor devil whatever his crimes he's suffered something to atone for them and then i thought of that other one the face in the cab the figure against the moon was he also out in that deluge the unseen watcher the man of darkness in the evening i put on my waterproof and i walked far upon the sodden moor full of dark imaginings the rain beating upon my face and the wind whistling about my ears god help those who wander into the great mire now for even the firm uplands are becoming a morass i found the black tor upon which i had seen the solitary watcher and from its craggy summit i looked out myself across the melancholy downs rain squalls drifted across their russet face and the heavy slate-colored clouds hung low over the landscape trailing in gray wreaths down the sides of the fantastic hills in the distant hollow on the left half hidden by the mist the two thin towers of baskerville hall rose above the trees they were the only signs of human life which i could see save only those prehistoric huts which lay thickly upon the slopes of the hills nowhere was there any trace of that lonely man whom i had seen on the same spot two nights before as i walked back i was overtaken by dr mortimer driving in his dog-cart over a rough moorland track which led from the outlying farmhouse of falmire he's been very attentive to us and hardly a day has passed that he has not called at the hall to see how we're getting on he insisted upon my climbing into his dog-cart and he gave me a lift homeward i found him much troubled over the disappearance of his little spaniel it had wandered onto the moor and had never come back i gave him such consolation as i might but i thought of the pony on the grimpen mire and i do not fancy that he will see his little dog again by the way mortimer said i as we jolted along the rough road i suppose there are few people living within driving distance of this whom you do not know hardly any i think can you then tell me the name of any woman whose initials are l l he thought for a few minutes no said he there are a few gypsies and laboring folk for whom i can't answer 
but among the farmers or gentry there is no one whose initials are those wait a bit though he added after a pause there is laura lyons her initials are l l but she lives in coombe tracy who is she i asked she is franklin's daughter what old franklin the crank exactly she married an artist named lyons who came sketching on the moor he proved to be a blackguard and deserted her the fault from what i hear may not have been entirely on one side her father refused to have anything to do with her because she had married without his consent and perhaps for one or two other reasons as well so between the old sinner and the young one the girl has had a pretty bad time how does she live i fancy old franklin allows her a pittance but it cannot be more for his own affairs are considerably involved whatever she may have deserved one could not allow her to go hopelessly to the bad her story got about and several of the people here did something to enable her to earn an honest living stapleton did for one and sir charles for another i gave a trifle myself it was to set her up in a typewriting business he wanted to know the object of my inquiries but i managed to satisfy his curiosity without telling him too much for there is no reason why we should take anyone into our confidence tomorrow morning i shall find my way to coombe tracy and if i can see this mrs laura lyons of equivocal reputation a long step will have been made towards clearing one incident in this chain of mysteries i am certainly developing the wisdom of the serpent for when mortimer pressed his questions to an inconvenient extent i asked him casually to what type franklin's skull belonged and so heard nothing but craniology for the rest of our drive i have not lived for years with sherlock holmes for nothing i have only one other incident to record upon this tempestuous and melancholy day this was my conversation with barrymore just now which gives me one more strong card which i can play in due time mortimer had stayed to dinner and he and the baronet played ecarte afterwards the butler brought me my coffee into the library and i took the chance to ask him a few questions well said i has this precious relation of yours departed or is he still lurking out yonder i don't know sir i hope to heaven that he's gone for he's brought nothing but trouble here i've not heard of him since i left our food for him last and that was three days ago did you see him then no sir but the food was gone when next i went that way then he was certainly there so you would think sir unless it was the other man who took it i sat with my coffee cup halfway to my lips and stared at barrymore you know that there is another man then yes sir there is another man upon the moor have you seen him no sir how do you know of him then selden told me of him sir a week ago or more he's in hiding too but he's not a convict as far as i can make out i don't like it dr watson i tell you straight sir that i don't like it he spoke with a sudden passion of earnestness now listen to me barrymore i have no interest in this matter but that of your master i have come here with no object except to help him tell me frankly what is it that you don't like 
barrymore hesitated for a moment as if he regretted his outburst or found it difficult to express his own feelings in words it's all these goings on sir he cried at last waving his hand towards the rain-lashed window which faced the moor there's foul play somewhere and there's black villainy brewing to that i'll swear very glad i should be sir to see sir henry on his way back to london again but what is it that alarms you look at sir charles's death that was bad enough for all that the coroner said look at the noises on the moor at night there's not a man who would cross it after sundown if he was paid for it look at this stranger hiding out yonder and watching and waiting what's he waiting for what does it mean it means no good to anyone of the name of baskerville and very glad i shall be to quit of it all in the day that sir henry's new servants are ready to take over the hall but about this stranger said i can you tell me anything about him what did selden say did he find out where he hid or what he was doing he saw him once or twice but he's a deep one and gives nothing away at first he thought that he was the police but soon he found that he had some lay of his own a kind of gentleman he was as far as he could see but what he was doing he could not make out and where did he say that he lived among the old houses on the hillside the stone huts where the old folk used to live but how about his food selden found out that he has got a lad who works for him and brings all he needs i dare say he goes to coombe tracy for he wants very good barrymore we may talk further of this some other time when the butler had gone i walked over to the black window and i looked through a blurred pane at the driving clouds and at the tossing outline of the wind-swept trees it is a wild night indoors and what must it be in stone hut upon the moor what passion of hatred can it be which leads a man to lurk in such a place at such a time and what deep and earnest purpose can he have which calls for such a trial there in that hut upon the moor seems to lie the very centre of that problem which has vexed me so sorely i swear that another day shall not have passed before i have done all that man can do to reach the heart of the mystery end of chapter ten Chapter Eleven of the Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven, The Man on the Tour. The extract from my private diary, which forms the last chapter, has brought my narrative up to the eighteenth of October, a time when these strange events began to move swiftly towards their terrible conclusion. The incidents of the next few days are indelibly graven upon my recollection and i can tell them without reference to the notes made at the time i start them from the day which succeeded that upon which i had established two facts of great importance the one that mrs laura lyons of coombe tracy had written to sir charles baskerville and made an appointment with him at the very place and hour that he met his death the other that the lurking man upon the moor was to be found among the stone huts upon the hillside with these two facts in my possession i felt that either my intelligence or my courage must be deficient if i could not throw some further light upon these dark places 
I had no opportunity to tell the baronet what I had learned about Mrs. Lyons upon the evening before, for Dr. Mortimer remained with him at cards until it was very late. At breakfast, however, I informed him about my discovery, and asked him whether he would care to accompany me to Coombe Tracy. At first he was very eager to come, but on second thoughts it seemed to both of us that if I went alone the results might be better. The more formal we made the visit, the less information we might obtain. I left Sir Henry behind, therefore, not without some prickings of conscience, and drove off upon my new quest. When I reached Coombe Tracy, I told Perkins to put up the horses, and I made inquiries for the lady whom I had come to interrogate. I had no difficulty in finding her rooms, which were central and well appointed. A maid showed me in without ceremony, and as I entered the sitting-room, a lady who was sitting before a Remington typewriter sprang up with a pleasant smile of welcome. Her face fell, however, when she saw that I was a stranger, and she sat down again and asked me the object of my visit. The first impression left by Mrs. Lyons was one of extreme beauty. Her eyes and hair were of the same rich hazel colour, and her cheeks, though considerably freckled, were flushed with the exquisite bloom of the brunette, the dainty pink which lurks at the heart of the sulphur rose. Admiration was, I repeat, the first impression, but the second was criticism. There was something subtly wrong with the face, some coarseness of expression, some hardness, perhaps, of eye, some looseness of lip, which marred its perfect beauty. But these, of course, are afterthoughts. At the moment I was simply conscious that I was in the presence of a very handsome woman, and that she was asking me the reasons for my visit. I had not quite understood until that instant how delicate my mission was. "'I have the pleasure,' said I, "'of knowing your father.' It was a clumsy introduction, and the lady made me feel it. "'There is nothing in common between my father and me,' she said. "'I owe him nothing, and his friends are not mine. If it were not for the late Sir Charles Baskerville, and some other kind hearts, I might have starved for all that my father cared.' "'It was about the late Sir Charles Baskerville that I have come here to see you.' The freckles started out on the lady's face. "'What can I tell you about him?' she asked, and her fingers played nervously over the stops of her typewriter. "'You knew him, did you not?' "'I have already said that I owe a great deal to his kindness. If I am able to support myself, it is largely due to the interest which he took in my unhappy situation.' "'Did you correspond with him?' The lady looked quickly up with an angry gleam in her hazel eyes. "'What is the object of these questions?' she asked sharply. The object is to avoid a public scandal. It is better that I should ask them here than that the matter should pass outside our control." She was silent, and her face was still very pale. At last she looked up with something reckless and defiant in her manner. "'Well, I'll answer,' she said. "'What are your questions?' "'Did you correspond with Sir Charles?' "'I certainly wrote to him once or twice to acknowledge his delicacy and his generosity.' "'Have you the dates of these letters?' "'No.' "'Have you ever met him?' "'Yes, once or twice, when he came into Coombe Tracy. He was a very retiring man, and he preferred to do good by stealth.' 
but if you saw him so seldom and wrote so seldom how did he know enough about your affairs to be able to help you as you say that he has done she met my difficulty with the utmost readiness there were several gentlemen who knew my sad history and united to help me one was mr stapleton a neighbor and intimate friend of sir charles's he was exceedingly kind and it was through him that sir charles learned about my affairs i knew already that sir charles baskerville had made stapleton his almoner upon several occasions so the lady's statement bore the impress of truth upon it did you ever write to sir charles asking him to meet you i continued mrs lyons flushed with anger again really sir this is very extraordinary question i am sorry madam but i must repeat it then i answer certainly not not on the very day of sir charles's death the flush had faded in an instant and a deathly face was before me her dry lips could not speak the no which i saw rather than heard surely your memory deceives you said i i could even quote a passage of your letter it ran please please as you are a gentleman burn this letter and be at the gate by ten o'clock i thought that she had fainted but she recovered herself by a supreme effort is there no such thing as a gentleman she gasped you do sir charles an injustice he did burn the letter but sometimes a letter may be legible even when burned you acknowledge now that you wrote it yes i did write it she cried pouring out her soul in a torrent of words i did write it why should i deny it i have no reason to be ashamed of it i wished him to help me i believe that if i had an interview i could gain his help so i asked him to meet me but why at such an hour because i had only just learned that he was going to london next day and might be away for months there were reasons why i could not get there earlier but why a rendezvous in the garden instead of a visit to the house do you think a woman could go alone at that hour to a bachelor's house well what happened when you did get there i never went mrs lyons no i swear it to you on all i hold sacred i never went something intervened to prevent me going what was that that is a private matter i cannot tell it you acknowledge then that you made an appointment with sir charles at the very hour and place at which he met his death but you deny that you kept the appointment that is the truth again and again i cross-questioned her but i could never get past that point mrs lyons said i as i rose from this long and inconclusive interview you are taking a very great responsibility and putting yourself in a very false position by not making an absolute clean breast of all that you know if i have to call in the aid of the police you will find how seriously you are compromised if your position is innocent why did you in the first instance deny having written to sir charles upon that date because i feared that some false conclusion might be drawn from it and that i might find myself involved in a scandal and why were you so pressing that sir charles should destroy your letter if you had read the letter you will know i did not say that i had read all the letter you quoted some of it i quoted the postscript the letter had as i said been burned and it was not all legible 
i ask you once again why it was that you were so pressing that sir charles should destroy this letter which he received on the day of his death the matter is a very private one the more reason why you should avoid a public investigation i will tell you then if you have heard anything of my unhappy history you will know that i made a rash marriage and had reason to regret it i have heard so much my life has been one incessant persecution from a husband whom i abhor the law is upon his side and every day i am faced by the possibility that he may force me to live with him at the time that i wrote this letter to sir charles i had learned that there was a prospect of my regaining my freedom if certain expenses could be met it meant everything to me peace of mind happiness self-respect everything i knew sir charles's generosity and i thought that if he heard the story from my own lips he would help me then how is it that you did not go because i received help in the interval from another source why then did you not write to sir charles and explain this so i should have done had i not seen his death in the paper next morning the woman's story hung coherently together and all my questions were unable to shake it i could only check it by finding if she had indeed instituted divorce proceedings against her husband at or about the time of the tragedy it was unlikely that she would dare to say that she had not been to baskerville hall if she really had been for a trap would be necessary to take her there and could not have returned to coombe tracy until the early hours of the morning such an excursion could not be kept secret the probability was therefore that she was telling the truth or at least a part of the truth i came away baffled and disheartened once again i had reached that dead wall which seemed to be built across every path by which i tried to get at the object of my mission and yet the more i thought of the lady's face and of her manner the more i felt that something was being held back from me why should she turn so pale why should she fight against every admission until it was forced from her why should she have been so reticent at the time of the tragedy surely the explanation of all this could not be as innocent as she would have me believe for the moment i could proceed no farther in that direction but must turn back to that other clue which was to be sought for among the stone huts upon the moor and that was a most vague direction i realized it as i drove back and noted how hill after hill showed traces of the ancient people barrymore's only indication had been that the stranger lived in one of those abandoned huts and many hundreds of them are scattered throughout the length and breadth of the moor but i had my own experience for a guide since it had shown me the man himself standing upon the summit of the black tor that then should be the centre of my search from there i should explore every hut upon the moor until i lighted upon the right one if this man were inside it i should find out from his own lips at the point of my revolver if necessary who he was and why he had dogged us so long he might slip away from us in the crowd of regent street but it would puzzle him to do so upon the lonely moor on the other hand if i should find the hut and its tenants should not be within it i must remain there however long the vigil until he returned holmes had missed him in london it would indeed be a triumph for me 
if I could run him to earth where my master had failed. Luck had been against us again and again in this inquiry, but now at last it came to my aid, and the messenger of good fortune was none other than Mr. Frankland, who was standing grey-whiskered and red-faced outside the gate of his garden, which opened on to the high-road along which I travelled. "'Good day, Dr. Watson,' cried he, with unwonted good humour. "'You must really give your horses a rest, and come in to have a glass of wine, and to congratulate me.' My feelings towards him were very far from being friendly, after what I had heard of his treatment of his daughter. But I was anxious to send Perkins and the wagonette home, and the opportunity was a good one. I alighted, and sent a message to Sir Henry, that I should walk over in time for dinner. Then I followed Frankland into his dining-room. "'It is a great day for me, sir. One of the red-letter days of my life,' he cried with many chuckles. "'I've brought off a double event. I mean to teach them in these parts that law is law, and that there is a man here who does not fear to invoke it. I have established a right of way through the centre of old Middleton's Park. Slap across it, sir, within a hundred yards of his own front door. What do you think of that?' "'We'll teach these magnates that they cannot ride roughshod over the rights of the commoners. Confound them! And I've closed the wood where the Fernworthy folk used to picnic. These infernal people seem to think that there are no rights of property, and that they can swarm where they like with their papers and their bottles. Both cases decided, Dr. Watson, and both in my favour. I haven't had such a day since I'd Sir John Morland for trespass because he shot in his own warren. How on earth did you do that?' "'Look it up in the book, sir. It'll repay reading. Franklin versus Moreland. Court of Queen's Bench. It cost me two hundred pounds, but I got my verdict.' "'Did it do you any good?' "'None, sir. None. I am proud to say that I have no interest in the matter. I act entirely from a sense of public duty. I have no doubt, for example, that the firmworthy people will burn me in effigy to-night. I told the police last time they did it, they should stop these disgraceful exhibitions. The county constabulary is in a scandalous state, sir, and it has not afforded me the protection to which I am entitled. The case of Franklin versus Regina will bring the matter before the attention of the public. I told them that they would have occasion to regret their treatment of me, and already my words have come true. How so? I asked. The old man put on a very knowing expression because I could tell them what they are dying to know, but nothing could induce me to help the rascals in any way. I had been casting around for some excuse by which I could get away from his gossip, but now I began to wish to hear more of it. I had seen enough of the contrary nature of the old sinner to understand that any strong sign of interest would be the surest way to stop his confidences. "'Some poaching case, no doubt,' said I, with an indifferent manner. Ha-ha, my boy! A very much more important matter than that. What about the convict on the moor? I stared. You don't mean that you know where he is, said I. I may not know exactly where he is, but I'm quite certain that I could help the police to lay their hands on him. Has it never struck you that the way to catch that man was to find out where he got his food and so trace it to him? He certainly seemed to be getting uncomfortably near the truth. "'No doubt,' said I. "'But how do you know that he is anywhere upon the moor?' "'I know it, 
because I've seen with my own eyes the messenger who takes him his food. My heart sank for Barrymore. It was a serious thing to be in the power of this spiteful old busybody, but his next remark took a weight from my mind. "'You'll be surprised to hear that his food is taken to him by a child. I see him every day through my telescope upon the roof. He passes along the same path at the same hour. And to whom should he be going except to the convict?' Here was luck indeed, and yet I suppressed all appearance of interest. A child! Barrymore had said that our unknown was supplied by a boy. It was on his track, and not upon the convicts, that Franklin had stumbled. If I could get his knowledge, it might save me a long and weary hunt. But incredulity and indifference were evidently my strongest cards. I should say that it was much more likely that it was the son of one of the moorland shepherds taking out his father's dinner. The least appearance of opposition struck fire out of the old autocrat. His eyes looked malignantly at me, and his grey whiskers bristled like those of an angry cat. "'Indeed, sir,' said he, pointing out over the wide-stretching moor. "'Do you see that black tor over yonder?' "'Well, do you see the low hill beyond with the thorn-bush upon it?' It is the stoniest part of the whole moor. Is that a place where a shepherd would be likely to take his station? Your suggestion, sir, is a most absurd one. I meekly answered that I had spoken without knowing all the facts. My submission pleased him, and led him to further confidences. You may be sure, sir, that I have very good grounds before I came to an opinion. I have seen the boy again and again with his bundle. Every day, and sometimes twice a day. I've been able, but wait a moment, Dr. Watson. Do my eyes deceive me, or is there at present moment something moving upon that hillside? It was several miles off, but I could distinctly see a small dark dot against the dull green and grey. Come, sir, come, cried Franklin, rushing upstairs. You'll see with your own eyes, and judge for yourself. The telescope, a formidable instrument, mounted upon a tripod, stood upon the flat leads of the house. Franklin clapped his eye to it, and gave a cry of satisfaction. "'Quick! Dr. Watson! Quick! Before he passes over the hill!' There he was, sure enough, a small urchin with a little bundle upon his shoulder, toiling slowly up the hill. When he reached the crest, I saw the ragged, uncouth figure outlined for an instant against the cold blue sky. He looked round him with a furtive and stealthy air, as one who dreads pursuit. Then he vanished over the hill. "'Well, am I right?' "'Certainly there is a boy who seems to have some secret errand.' "'And what that errand is, even a county constable could guess. But not one word shall they have from me, and I bind you to secrecy also, Dr. Watson. Not a word, you understand?' "'Just as you wish. They have treated me shamefully.' shamefully when the facts come out in franklin versus regina i venture to think that a thrill of indignation will run through the country nothing would induce me to help the police in any way for all they cared it might have been me instead of my effigy which these rascals burned at the stake surely you're not going you'll help me to empty the decanter in honour of this great occasion but I resisted all his solicitations, and succeeded in dissuading him from his announced intention of walking home with me. 
i kept the road as long as his eye was on me and then i struck off across the moor and made for the stony hill over which the boy had disappeared everything was working in my favour and i swore that it should not be through lack of energy or perseverance that i should miss the chance which fortune had thrown in my way the sun was already sinking when i reached the summit of the hill and the long slopes beneath me were all golden green on one side and grey shadow on the other a haze lay low upon the farthest skyline out of which jutted the fantastic shapes of belliver and vixen tor over the wide expanse there was no sound and no movement one great grey bird a gull or curlew soared aloft in the blue heaven he and i seemed to be the only living things between the huge arch of the sky and the desert beneath it the barren scene the sense of loneliness and the mystery and urgency of my task all struck a chill into my heart the boy was nowhere to be seen but down beneath me in a cleft of the hills there was a circle of the old stone huts and in the middle of them there was one which retained sufficient roof to act as a screen against the weather my heart leapt within me as i saw it this must be the burrow where the stranger lurked at last my foot was on the threshold of his hiding place his secret was within my grasp as i approached the hut walking as warily as stapleton would do when with poised net he drew near the settled butterfly i satisfied myself that the place had indeed been used as a habitation a vague pathway among the boulders led to the dilapidated opening which served as a door all was silent within the unknown might be lurking there or he might be prowling on the moor my nerves tingled with the sense of adventure throwing aside my cigarette i closed my hand upon the butt of my revolver and walking swiftly up to the door i looked in the place was empty but there were ample signs that i had not come upon a false scent this was certainly where the man lived some blankets rolled in a waterproof lay upon the very stone slab upon which neolithic man had once slumbered the ashes of a fire were heaped in a rude grate beside it lay some cooking utensils and a bucket half full of water a litter of empty tins showed that the place had been occupied for some time and i saw as my eyes became accustomed to the checkered light a pannikin and a half full bottle of spirits standing in the corner in the middle of the hut a flat stone served the purpose of a table and upon this stood a small cloth bundle the same no doubt which i had seen through the telescope upon the shoulder of the boy it contained a loaf of bread a tin tongue and two tins of preserved peaches as i set it down again after having examined it my heart leapt to see that beneath it there lay a sheet of paper with writing upon it i raised it and this was what i read roughly scrawled in pencil dr watson has gone to coombe tracy for a minute i stood there with the paper in my hands thinking out the meaning of this curt message it was i then and not sir henry who was being dogged by this secret man he had not followed me himself but he had set an agent the boy perhaps upon my track and this was his report possibly i had taken no step since i had been upon the moor which had not been observed and reported always there was this feeling of an unseen force 
a fine net drawn round us with infinite skill and delicacy holding us so lightly that it was only at some supreme moment that one realized that one was indeed entangled in its meshes if there was one report there might be others so i looked around the hut in search of them there was no trace however of anything of the kind nor could i discover any sign which might indicate the character or intentions of the man who lived in this singular place save that he must be of spartan habits and cared little for the comforts of life when i thought of the heavy rains and looked at the gaping roof i understood how strong and immutable must be the purpose which had kept him in that inhospitable abode was he our malignant enemy or was he by chance our guardian angel i swore that i would not leave the hut until i knew outside the sun was sinking low and the west was blazing with scarlet and gold its reflection was shot back in ruddy patches by the distant pools which lay amid the great grimpen mire there were the two towers of baskerville hall and there a distant blur of smoke which marked the village of grimpen between the two behind the hill was the house of the stapletons all was sweet and mellow and peaceful in the golden evening light and yet as i looked at them my soul shared none of the peace of nature but quivered at the vagueness and the terror of that interview which every instant was bringing nearer with tingling nerves but a fixed purpose i sat in the dark recess of the hut and waited with sombre patience for the coming of its tenant and then at last i heard him far away came the sharp clink of a boot striking upon a stone then another and yet another coming nearer and nearer i shrank back into the darkest corner and cocked the pistol in my pocket determined not to discover myself until i had an opportunity of seeing something of the stranger there was a long pause which showed that he had stopped then once more the footsteps approached and a shadow fell across the opening of the hut it is a lovely evening my dear watson said a well-known voice i really think that you will be more comfortable outside than in end of chapter eleven chapter twelve of the hound of the baskervilles by sir arthur conan doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twelve death on the moor for a moment or two i sat breathless hardly able to believe my ears then my senses and my voice came back to me while a crushing weight of responsibility seemed in an instant to be lifted from my soul that cold incisive ironical voice could belong to but one man in all the world holmes i cried holmes come out said he and please be careful with the revolver i stooped under the rude lintel and there he sat upon a stone outside his gray eyes dancing with amusement as they fell upon my astonished features he was thin and worn but clear and alert his keen face bronzed by the sun and roughened by the wind in his tweed suit and cloth cap he looked like any other tourist upon the moor and he had contrived with that cat-like love of personal cleanliness which was one of his characteristics that his chin should be as smooth and his linen as perfect as if he were in baker street i never was more glad to see anyone in my life said i 
as i wrung him by the hand or more astonished eh well i must confess to it the surprise was not all on one side i assure you i had no idea that you had found my occasional retreat still less that you were inside it until i was within twenty paces of the door my footprint i presume no watson i fear that i could not undertake to recognize your footprint amid all the footprints of the world if you seriously desire to deceive me you must change your tobacconist for when i see the stub of a cigarette marked bradley oxford street i know that my friend watson is in the neighborhood you will see it there beside the path you threw it down no doubt at that supreme moment when you charged into the empty hut exactly i thought as much and knowing your admirable tenacity i was convinced that you were sitting in ambush a weapon within reach waiting for the tenant to return so you actually thought that i was the criminal i did not know who you were but i was determined to find out excellent watson and how did you localize me you saw me perhaps on the night of the convict hunt when i was so imprudent as to allow the moon to rise behind me yes i saw you then and have no doubt searched all the huts until you came to this one no your boy has been observed and that gave me a guide where to look the old gentleman with the telescope no doubt i could not make it out when first i saw the light flashing upon the lens he rose and peeped into the hut ha ah, i see that cartwright has brought up some supplies what's this paper so you've been to coombe tracy have you yes to see mrs laura lyons exactly well done our researches have evidently been running on parallel lines and when we unite our results i expect we shall have a fairly full knowledge of the case well i'm glad from my heart that you are here for indeed the responsibility and the mystery were both becoming too much for my nerves but how in the name of wonder did you come here and what have you been doing i thought that you were in baker street working out that case of blackmailing that was what i wished you to think then you use me and yet do not trust me i cried with some bitterness i think that i deserve better at your hands holmes my dear fellow you have been invaluable to me in this as in many other cases and i beg that you will forgive me if i have seemed to play a trick upon you in truth it was partly for your own sake that i did it and it was my appreciation of the danger which you ran which led me to come down and examine the matter for myself had i been with sir henry and you it is confident that my point of view would have been the same as yours and my presence would have warned our very formidable opponents to be on their guard as it is i have been able to get about as i could not possibly have done had i been living in the hall and i remain an unknown factor in the business ready to throw in all my weight at a critical moment but why keep me in the dark for you to know could not have helped us and might possibly have led to my discovery you would have wished to tell me something or in your kindness you would have brought me out some comfort or other and so an unnecessary risk would be run i brought cartwright down with me you remember the little chap at the express office and he has seen after my simple wants a loaf of bread and a clean collar what does man want more he has given me an extra pair of eyes upon a very active pair of feet 
and both have been invaluable then my reports have all been wasted my voice trembled as i recalled the pains and the pride with which i had composed them holmes took a bundle of papers from his pocket here are your reports my dear fellow and very well thumbed i assure you i made excellent arrangements and they were only delayed one day upon their way i must compliment you exceedingly upon the zeal and the intelligence which you have shown over an extraordinarily difficult case i was still rather raw over the deception which had been practised upon me but the warmth of holmes's praise drove my anger from my mind i felt also in my heart that he was right in what he had said and that it was really best for our purpose that i should not have known that he was upon the moor that's better said he seeing the shadow rise from my face and now tell me the result of your visit to mrs laura lyons it was not difficult for me to guess that it was to see her that you had gone for i am already aware that she is the one person in coombe tracy who might be of service to us in the matter in fact if you had not gone to-day it is exceedingly probable that i should have gone to-morrow the sun had set and dusk was settling over the moor the air had turned chill and we withdrew into the hut for warmth there sitting together in the twilight i told holmes of my conversation with the lady so interested was he that i had to repeat some of it twice before he was satisfied this is most important said he when i had concluded it fills up a gap which i had been unable to bridge in this most complex affair you are aware perhaps that a close intimacy exists between this lady and the man stapleton i did not know of a close intimacy there can be no doubt about the matter they meet they write there is a complete understanding between them now this puts a very powerful weapon into our hands if i could only use it to detach his wife his wife i am giving you some information now in return for all that you have given me the lady who has passed here as miss stapleton is in reality his wife good heavens holmes are you sure of what you say how could he have permitted sir henry to fall in love with her sir henry's falling in love could do no harm to anyone except sir henry he took particular care that sir henry did not make love to her as you have yourself observed i repeat that the lady is his wife and not his sister but why this elaborate deception because he foresaw that she would be very much more useful to him in the character of a free woman all my unspoken instincts my vague suspicions suddenly took shape and centered upon the naturalist in that impassive colorless man with his straw hat and his butterfly net i seemed to see something terrible a creature of infinite patience and craft with a smiling face and a murderous heart it is he then who is our enemy it is he who dogged us in london so i read the riddle and the warning it must have come from her exactly the shape of some monstrous villainy half seen half guessed loomed through the darkness which had girt me so long but are you sure of this holmes how do you know that the woman is his wife because he so far forgot himself as to tell you a true piece of autobiography upon the occasion when he first met you 
and I dare say he has many a time regretted it since. He was once a schoolmaster in the north of England. Now there is no one more easy to trace than a schoolmaster. There are scholastic agencies by which one may identify any man who has been in the profession. A little investigation showed me that a school had come to grief under atrocious circumstances, and that the man who had owned it, the name was different, had disappeared with his wife. The descriptions agreed. When I learned that the missing man was devoted to entomology, the identification was complete. The darkness was rising, but much was still hidden by the shadows. If this woman is in truth his wife, where does Mrs. Laura Lyons come in? I asked. That is one of the points upon which your own researches have shed a light. Your interview with the lady has cleared the situation very much. I did not know about a projected divorce between herself and her husband. In that case, regarding Stapleton as an unmarried man, she counted no doubt upon becoming his wife. And when she is undeceived? Why, then, we may find the lady of service. It must be our first duty to see her, both of us, tomorrow. Don't you think, Watson, that you are away from your charge rather long? Your place should be at Baskerville Hall. The last red streaks had faded away in the west, and night had settled upon the moor. A few faint stars were gleaming in a violet sky. "'One last question, Holmes,' I said as I rose. "'Surely there's no need of secrecy between you and me. What is the meaning of it all? What is he after?' Holmes' voice sank as he answered. "'It is murder, Watson. Refined, cold-blooded, deliberate murder. Do not ask me for particulars.' my nets are closing upon him even as his are upon sir henry and with your help he is already almost at my mercy there is but one danger which can threaten us it is that he should strike before we are ready to do so another day two at the most and i have my case complete but until then guard your charge as closely as ever a fond mother watched her ailing child your mission to-day has justified itself and yet I could almost wish that you had not left his side. Hark! A terrible scream, a prolonged yell of horror and anguish, burst out of the silence of the moor. That frightful cry turned the blood to ice in my veins. Oh, my God! I gasped. What is it? What does it mean? Holmes had sprung to his feet, and I saw his dark, athletic outline at the door of the hut his shoulders stooping, his head thrust forward, his face peering into the darkness. "'Hush!' he whispered. "'Hush!' The cry had been loud on account of its vehemence, but it had pealed out from somewhere far off on the shadowy plain. Now it burst upon our ears, nearer, louder, more urgent than before. "'Where is it?' Holmes whispered, and I knew from the thrill of his voice that he, the man of iron, was shaken to the soul." where is it watson there i think i pointed into the darkness no there again the agonized cry swept through the silent night louder and much nearer than ever and a new sound mingled with it a deep muttered rumble musical and yet menacing rising and falling like the low constant murmur of the sea the hound cried holmes come watson come 
great heavens if we are too late he had started running swiftly over the moor and i had followed at his heels but now from somewhere among the broken ground immediately in front of us there came one last despairing yell and then a dull heavy thud we halted and listened not another sound broke the heavy silence of the windless night i saw holmes put his hand to his forehead like a man distracted he stamped his feet upon the ground he has beaten us watson we are too late no no surely not fool that i was to hold my hand and you watson see what comes of abandoning your charge but by heaven if the worst has happened we'll avenge him blindly we ran through the gloom blundering against boulders forcing our way through gorse bushes panting up hills and rushing down slopes heading always in a direction whence those dreadful sounds had come at every rise holmes looked eagerly around him but the shadows were thick upon the moor and nothing moved upon its dreary face can you see anything nothing but hark what is that a low moan had fallen upon our ears there it was again upon our left on that side a ridge of rocks ended in a sheer cliff which overlooked a stone-strewn slope on its jagged face was spread-eagled some dark irregular object as we ran towards it the vague outline hardened into a definite shape it was a prostrate man face downward upon the ground the head doubled under him at a horrible angle the shoulders rounded and the body hunched together as if in the act of throwing a somersault so grotesque was the attitude that i could not for the instant realize that that moan had been the passing of his soul not a whisper not a rustle rose now from the dark figure over which we stooped holmes laid his hand upon him and held it up again with an exclamation of horror the gleam of the match which he struck shone upon his clotted fingers and upon the ghastly pool which widened slowly from the crushed skull of the victim and it shone upon something else which turned our hearts sick and faint within us the body of sir henry baskerville there was no chance of either of us forgetting that peculiar ruddy tweed suit the very one which he had worn on the first morning that we had seen him in baker street we caught the one clear glimpse of it and then the match flickered and went out even as the hope had gone out of our souls holmes groaned and his face glimmered white through the darkness the brute the brute i cried with clenched hands oh holmes i shall never forgive myself for having left him to his fate i am more to blame than you watson in order to have my case well rounded and complete i have thrown away the life of my client it is the greatest blow which has befallen me in my career but how could i know how could i know that he would risk his life alone upon the moor in the face of all my warnings that we should have heard the screams my god those screams and yet have been unable to save him where is this brute of a hound which drove him to his death it may be lurking among those rocks at this instant and stapleton where is he he shall answer for this deed he shall i will see to that uncle and nephew have been murdered the one frightened to death by the very sight of a beast which he thought to be supernatural 
the other driven to his end in this wild flight to escape from it but now we have to prove the connection between the man and the beast save from what we heard we cannot even swear to the existence of the latter since sir henry has evidently died from the fall but by heavens cunning as he is the fellow shall be in my power before another day is passed we stood with bitter hearts on either side of the mangled body overwhelmed by this sudden and irrevocable disaster which had brought all our long and weary labors to so piteous an end then as the moon rose we climbed to the top of the rocks over which our poor friend had fallen and from the summit we gazed out over the shadowy moor half silver and half gloom far away miles off in the direction of grimpen a single steady yellow light was shining it can only come from the lonely abode of the stapletons with a bitter curse i shook my fist at it as i gazed why should we not seize him at once our case is not complete the fellow is wary and cunning to the last degree it is not what we know but what we can prove if we make one false move the villain may escape us yet what can we do there will be plenty for us to do tomorrow tonight we can only perform the last offices to our poor friend together we made our way down the precipitous slope and approached the body black and clear against the silvered stones the agony of those contorted limbs struck me with a spasm of pain and blurred my eyes with tears we must send for help holmes we cannot carry him all the way to the hall good heavens are you mad he had uttered a cry and bent over the body now he was dancing and laughing and wringing my hand could this be my stern self-contained friend these were hidden fires indeed a beard a beard the man has a beard a beard it is not the baronet it is why it is my neighbor the convict with feverish haste we had turned the body over and that dripping beard was pointing up to the cold clear moon there could be no doubt about the beetling forehead the sunken animal eyes it was indeed the same face which had glared upon me in the light of the candle from over the rock the face of selden the criminal then in an instant it was all clear to me i remembered how the baronet had told me that he had handed his old wardrobe to barrymore barrymore had passed it on in order to help selden in his escape boots shirt cap it was all sir henry's the tragedy was still black enough but this man had at least deserved death by the laws of his country i told holmes how the matter stood my heart bubbling over with thankfulness and joy then the clothes have been the poor devil's death said he it is clear enough that the hound has been laid on from some article of sir henry's the boot which was abstracted in the hotel in all probability and so ran this man down there is one very singular thing however how came selden in the darkness to know that the hound was on his trail he heard him to hear a hound upon the moor would not work a hard man like this convict into such a paroxysm of terror that he would risk recapture by screaming wildly for help by his cries he must have run a long way after he knew the animal was on his track how did he know 
the greater mystery to me is why this hound presuming that all our conjectures are correct i presume nothing well then why this hound should be loose to-night i suppose that it does not always run loose upon the moor stapleton would not let it go unless he had reason to think that sir henry would be there my difficulty is the more formidable of the two for i think that we shall very shortly get an explanation of yours while mine may remain forever a mystery the question now is what shall we do with this poor wretch's body we cannot leave it here to the foxes and the ravens i suggest that we put it in one of the huts until we can communicate with the police exactly i have no doubt that you and i could carry it so far hello watson what's this it's the man himself by all that's wonderful and audacious not a word to show your suspicions not a word or my plans crumble to the ground a figure was approaching us over the moor and i saw the dull red glow of a cigar the moon shone upon him and i could distinguish the dapper shape and jaunty walk of the naturalist he stopped when he saw us and then came on again why dr watson that's not you is it you are the last man that i should have expected to see out on the moor at this time of night but dear me what's this somebody hurt not don't tell me that it is our friend sir henry he hurried past me and stooped over the dead man i heard a sharp intake of his breath and the cigar fell from his fingers who who's this he stammered it is selden the man who escaped from princetown stapleton turned a ghastly face upon us but by a supreme effort he had overcome his amazement and his disappointment he looked sharply from holmes to me dear me what a very shocking affair how did he die he appears to have broken his neck by falling over these rocks my friend and i were strolling on the moor when we heard a cry i heard a cry also that was what brought me out i was uneasy about sir henry why about sir henry in particular i could not help asking because i had suggested that he should come over when he did not come i was surprised and i naturally became alarmed for his safety when i heard cries upon the moor by the way his eyes darted again from my face to holmes's did you hear anything else besides a cry no said holmes did you no what do you mean then oh you know the stories that the peasants tell about a phantom hound and so on it is said to be heard at night upon the moor i was wondering if there were any evidence of such a sound to-night we heard nothing of the kind said i and what is your theory of this poor fellow's death i have no doubt that anxiety and exposure have driven him off his head he has rushed about the moor in a crazy state and eventually fallen over here and broken his neck that seems the most reasonable theory said stapleton and he gave a sigh which i took to indicate his relief what do you think about it mr sherlock holmes my friend bowed his compliments you are quick at identification said he we have been expecting you in these parts since dr watson came down you are in time to see a tragedy yes indeed i have no doubt that my friend's explanation will cover the facts 
i will take an unpleasant remembrance back to london with me to-morrow oh you return to-morrow that is my intention i hope your visit has cast some light upon these occurrences which have puzzled us holmes shrugged his shoulders one cannot always have the success for which one hopes an investigator needs facts and not legends or rumours it has not been a satisfactory case my friend spoke in his frankest and most unconcerned manner stapleton still looked hard at him then he turned to me i would suggest carrying this poor fellow to my house but it would give my sister such a fright that i do not feel justified in doing it i think that if we put something over his face he will be safe until morning and so it was arranged resisting stapleton's offer of hospitality holmes and i set off to baskerville hall leaving the naturalist to return alone looking back we saw the figure moving slowly away over the broad moor and behind him that one black smudge on the silvered slope which showed where the man was lying who had come so horribly to his end end of chapter 12「Nice buns, soft, fluffy and ultra low net carbs」「Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread」With incredible taste and texture, Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.